Hello, I'm Michael Heyman, and you're listening to Changemakers. My guest today is Rob Law, the founder and CEO of Trunky, the suitcase for globe-trotting tots. Now, Rob was the one that got away from Dragon's Den, but leaving the den empty-handed didn't stop him turning Trunky into a business which has sold over 2.8 million suitcases in over 100 countries around the world. On overcoming setbacks, he said, you've just got to keep pushing forward and finding new ways around obstacles. The quicker you embrace them, the faster you can get to the other side and keep growing. Born with cystic fibrosis, Rob watched his twin sister die from the same illness at 16. Told he could not expect to live into his 20s, he made a promise that he was going to defy the odds and live a long and successful life. He captured the lessons he learned in his book, 65 Roses and the Trunky, Defying the Odds in Life and Business. Rob, welcome to Changemakers. Let's talk about this extraordinary story, which you've captured in the book. Let's start, though, with that quote I shared. You've just got to keep pushing forward and finding new ways around obstacles. Tell us more about that. Well, I guess um, I'm a trained product designer and and product designers are are naturally good problem solvers. And I've just seen my life as a hurdle of problems that needed solving. Um, And that's kind of the approach I I kind of take to things. And in an early life in business, certainly when you're thrown so many challenges to overcome in startup mode, I was able to overcome them fairly swiftly, albeit not necessarily in the right direction you had initially hoped to, but you overcame those challenges and and move forward. As any parent will probably say trunky is one of those things that a lot of your kids want i can certainly tell you that that as as a dad of two young girls i can remember on a trip to spain the first time my girls saw trunkies and it was like this kind of moment of amazement and you know when you look at your business now it's one of those kind of like amazing products that you think what a clever idea where did you come up with the idea in terms of that sort of suitcase for globe trotting tots was a, a long time ago actually i came up with the idea while i was studying product design at the university of northumbria and we entered a national luggage design competition so i was kind of 19 20 years old didn't have kids and went to the local department store to try and find inspiration back in 1997 hard molded plastic suitcases were quite fashionable from the likes of samsonite and carlton but it was all black and boring and i kind of drifted off into the kids toy section and remember standing in front of the array of ride-on toys and reminiscing how my younger brother used to relentlessly ride his tractor around the garden. But that's using a different manufacturing technique that wastes a lot of space. And I thought, why not make a really functional ride-on suitcase for kids that maximizes that internal volume using this technology that the adult suitcases are doing and create a new concept. Uh, I traveled a bit and new kids got bored at airports and thought, I'll give it a go. I, I went on to win the contest. Endless hours of fun. And and yeah, the judges said it's a great idea. You should try and commercialize it. You should try and license it. So I went off to see Carlton, um, really excited about revolutionizing family travel together. And my enthusiasm was slightly dampened by them fairly quickly telling me that they were in the luggage business and I'd invented a toy. So that meeting ended fairly sharply. Uh, but I saw that as another opportunity. Well, if they don't think it's luggage, it must be a toy. So I'll approach toy companies who, surprise, surprise, thought it it was a piece of luggage and no one would take it on for about five years of, of trying. I eventually found a startup toy company who did take it on. Uh, they had it for three years. I was really excited. Global licensing deal. I'll be able to retire young, sipping be- cocktails on the beach. And they ended up going into liquidation three years later with only one customer in Saudi Arabia. So they never launched Trunky in the UK or Europe or the US. And, uh, so that was very frustrating. But again, it was kind of, well, they, they were a toy company. They really needed to give it more of a travel push and actually the learning there was it's not a toy it's not a piece of luggage it needs to be repositioned as a a lifestyle brand for parents primarily targeting mum 
And that was when I quit my job as a product designer and decided to do it myself. And the first shipment of Trunkies arrived in Avonmouth docks on the 5th of May 2006. That's now hailed as our birthday. The birthday. Now, another key date was your famous encounter with the Dragons, where you pitched and they told you it wasn't a great idea. Tell us a little bit about how you unpack the story for them and what you took out of the experience. Well, this was season three and we actually filmed two weeks after that first container arrived in the UK. So I didn't have any national customers. Surprisingly, the luggage buyers told me to see the toy buyers and the toy buyers say, go and see the apparel buyers. And I could never get my foot through the door initially, but the pitch went perfectly. I towed Richard Farley, the Aussie guy round on the, on the trunkie in the studio. Everything was going so well until Trixie, the pink trunkie ended up at Theopathetus's feet, who latter built a reputation for strength testing products and he tugged on the toe strap, realised the hook bent slightly and he pulled it off. And no matter how hard I tried, I could not bring that pitch back onto par and the dragons all lambasted me and kind of I got thrown out the den empty-handed. I mean, it's funny, a lot of people will often say about that's one of the big ones they really got wrong in terms of look, look at what you then went on to achieve. Did you take a life lesson with you out of that experience or, or did it just or did you just shrug it off? Back then it was filmed in old warehouse so I, I left the top of the stairs thinking damn I'm leaving without a deal I really ho- hoped I could have got some money because I haven't got any and by the time I got to the bottom of those stairs I was like oh Christ this is going to go on telly and it will probably ruin my business about six months later it finally aired and I went down to local news agents every Tuesday to try and find out if there'd be any notice about it so I'd pick up the radio times Tuesday night nine o'clock BBC two and one week it said wheelie rubbish the color drained from my face and I thought oh, we wheelie rubbish I thought it was going to be bad <laughs> I thought I might have got away with it because I hadn't heard anything from the BBC and it did air and it was kind of brace yourself for some serious car crash telly. So I kind of thought, well, I, I don't know how to solve this at the time when I left the den, but that, that interim period of six months, kind of, I, I was learning more, I was getting more sales, I was exporting internationally. When I realised there was going to be a bit of theatrical telly really hitting hitting the BBC, I thought, well, I'll get a lot of website visits. I might not sell many trunkies, but I'll, I'll try and use that as an opportunity to garner feedback from customers. Posted a survey up online, and that night over 2,000 people filled in the survey. We sold out of trunkies, but the real turning point was then realizing from that 2,000 people's bit of feedback that everyone thought trunkie was brilliant. And the problem was retailers didn't get it, investors didn't get it, manufacturers didn't get it, but my target market But your target market got it. And of course, you know, the rest, as they say, is history in terms of trunky emerging as this kind of iconic design much loved by kids and parents alike yet beneath this story of a parent you know leaping from gilded height to gilded height is actually a story of great challenge i mean not not least a lifelong battle with with cystic fibrosis losing your your twin sister along the way and capturing a lot of the emotion and you know that story as part of a book you you launched last year 65 roses and a trunky define the odds in life and business i mean this really is your story that actually you You've often taken odds that looked very, very difficult to beat and actually gone ahead and done precisely that. 
Yeah, well, I, I, the book came about through, I do quite a lot of corporate business speaking events, and it's only ever talking about the trunky story. Everyone always says, oh, you should write a book about your story. And I came a couple of years ago, I had a bit of time uh, on my hands, and I thought, well, I'll give this project a go. But actually, there's a deeper story about my personal battle that I think if I could tell that well and interweaved with my business journey, people might learn something about resilience and how to overcome challenges. And um, So share some of that story with listeners, Rob in terms of just frame it for us sure i guess growing up all i've ever known is having this this condition cystic fibrosis so it was my normal but it involved brutal physio regimes being inclined for several hours a day on a tipping bed trying to cough up mucus because your lungs get really clogged up and that's the life-threatening part going in and out of hospital taking loads of drugs intravenous drug therapies all sorts of things and it was a pretty torturous childhood having to go through that and, and shared that experience with my my twin sister but she kind of got worse off than i did and was on the slippery slope ended up having a heart and lung transplant when she was 15 and then had a whole new lease of life after that for a about nine months before um, her body rejected the organs and, and very quickly she she sadly passed away at Great Ormond Street. Mm, a, a tragic story. And, and, and you said in your lockdown list that accompanies this ep- episode that you almost feel like you're living living my life for the both of us, you, you said. I mean, is, is that part of, do you think, the kind of the superpower, the energy the kind of the drive yeah clearly it was a hugely traumatic experience for for the family and everyone but i kind of use that as a lesson to that life is short and you should really make the most of it when you're faced with these hurdles they kind of seem a little bit more insurmountable to me because i've had to face various things in my life and it is just kind of about getting on with it i loved reading that your mum used to tell you that when you moaned she would remind you that many people were worse off than than you i mean only a mum can get away with that kind of kind of message i often think i mean in terms of how that affected your sense of self your sense of struggle your sense of the situation that you were facing is that part of the positivist the optimist that you took something from even the most testing of situations yeah i mean having that self-pity road or door closed off from a young age i I never really reflect back on my own personal battles Uh, in in fact actually writing the book was really therapeutic and really interesting and i actually pulled out working with my uh, ghostwriter peter hughes some really interesting things that weren't front and center of my mind they were just the way of being but yeah i mean my my way of coping with cf was to build a wall and pretend i was normal yeah my fit brutal physio regime was was normal and and when i left the house i was normal and i'll try and do everything i could to be normal and just get on with it in terms of cystic fibrosis today in terms of how it affects your day-to-day life now in terms of rob the adult tell us a little bit about how you live with the condition today there's a couple still there was a couple of hours a day on on physiotherapy taking various drugs but i found sport really helpful just to stay fit and healthy i had a few false starts in early childhood about a cure being around the corner and after being let down a few times i kind of thought well the only thing i can do the only thing in my control is to stay as fit and healthy as i can until that cure comes along rather than trying to quite literally hold my breath until it it did arrive so i forgot about the cure forgot about when it might happen and just focused on trying to stay fit and healthy and being dyslexic i'm a bit uncoordinated so despite trying to play football with my mates and cricket and all those kind of sports i was always on the subs bench and really found running cycling and swimming was my my real passion and put those all together into triathlons about a decade ago i mean and very specifically to, for the moment in terms of 
living with a with a pre-existing condition through the covid epidemic has that affected your your outlook in in any way or did you or again is it just getting on with it it was getting on with it but then there were a couple of barriers to getting on with it with uh, receiving the letter from the government saying you're critically vulnerable and you shouldn't leave the house and you're thinking geez when am i ever going to go into a shop again the challenges of getting those food parcels and the home food delivered initially for a couple of weeks but with everything kicking off and the challenges to the business i just kind of thought well i've, I've got to be to get through this i need some mental energy so i'm just going to be grateful for what i've got we've got a nice garden the sun was out got beautiful children and just living with them in the garden really enjoying their company that was a, a real rejuvenator for me to, to give me the mental strength to get through it you young kids seven four and 21 months we were saying great ages to great energy to, to have around you now let's not lose the book title 65 roses and a trunkie we've got one half of that explain the roses to us well children often struggle to pronounce cystic fibrosis so it's quite often called 65 roses by children so that seemed like quite a poetic title to, to use but but f- funnily enough i mean the the other complication with cf and there's a few around being able to digest food and always having to take pills every time i eat for quite a lot of men it means i can't father children and i kind of learned when i was at university that that wasn't going to be possible for me and i spent most of my adult life thinking i couldn't be a father yeah i'm running this children's travel brand but then with the wonders of modern technology me and my partner decided that we'd, we'd try and went through ivf had a few tragedies but we we kept persevering and, and now we have those three beautiful kids wonderful so many of the challenges that you faced have been big ones i mean i think by any measure in terms of personal health in terms of parenting growing a small business into a fantastically successful business and of course you've captured a lot of those experiences in the book in terms of the lessons that you would share with listeners about overcoming the odds the mindset that you need to actually give yourself the best chance of winning what would be the lessons you'd share the I think one of the things I that came out of process of writing the book and reflection was actually success is just a, a highlight in a series of defeats. You kind of success is short lived, and people always think, well, success is retiring and living on a yacht or whatever it is. But life's a journey, and things are short lived. And without purpose, without driving enthusiasm, and something you really believe in, you're going to be lost. So yeah, success might be getting that first house or that first car or the, these material things, and then starting a family. But they happen, and then you move. On and you've got to keep moving those goalposts. But you mentioned purpose, and a lot of people spend their life in a quest for purpose. They want to find meaning, they want to find the ideas that can drive them. And as you say, that doesn't have to be the success in terms of the final outcome. It could be about living a meaningful life. I mean, that seems to be something that you've had tremendous success at in terms of making your own circumstances make sense within the context of your own living experience. A lot of that, I guess revolves around how you approach the day-to-day and the mindset that you are able to unleash as part of that. And I'm just wondering with with you, Rob, whether whether there are things that you would point to in terms of, right, this is how I really deal with my worst day, my most difficult day. This is how I turn it into something else. Is there a tip or is it just completely unique, do you think, to individual circumstances? No, I think think there is a bit of a pattern. I mean, facing a challenge, some challenges can go on for a long time. So you really need that mental energy to keep persevering, trying to find a solution. 
So you've got to really focus in on the things you can control and forget about the things you can't. And a great example of that was when at the height of the terrorist threats in 2006, there was a liquid bomb threat that the secret services foiled. But as a result, hand luggage was banned and I just launched a children's hand luggage business. So the very product was banned from its use. So I tried phoning the Department of Transport, Heathrow, Virgin Galactic, and very quickly realized there's no way I can influence that when that ban might be lifted. So I've just got to focus on what I can do, which is controlling costs trying to pivot my marketing message to staycations. So yeah, you've really got to focus on what you can influence and that will help you navigate through the the storm, conserve that energy, feel grateful for what you've got, whatever that may be, just be grateful and really rejuvenate your energy through, through that reflection. I would offer you a thought, Rob, which is that, you know, there is that saying that life is what happens when you're busy making plans. It strikes me that a lot of your story has been about the ability to live in the moment, that actually a lot of it is about a sense of mortality, a sense of time, and that that frames the way you look at the world slightly differently than perhaps people that haven't had some of the same challenges. Yeah, I guess so. I also feel I'm quite lucky to have found a skill quite early age when I was about 14. And through realising I couldn't be an astronaut or soldier because they need strong lungs, I had to try and think earlier than most about what I could do. Uh, My careers advisor at high school said you might be a landscape gardener. That didn't quite tick my boxes, but I found product design. And as later I learned, as Sir Ken Robinson says, finding your element. I was lucky enough to find that and to really put all my energy into becoming a good product designer and then to find a product to then use that skill to to launch the brand and the business. And and did you find that product design, was was that something you found through experience or was there a moment, was there a person, was there a, an inspiration that helped you along the way? There wasn't much at school. It was graphic design or woodwork. I liked them, but they weren't really what I was really excited about. And, and product design was quite an unknown skill set at the time. It's now very popular, but Richard Seymour and Dick Powell, who used to run a, a TV program about how to reinvent vent the toilet or an iron iron or the kettle and all these consumer products they really captured my attention they had done a a, they created a book which very simply was use a marker renderings to make like products look real life and that skill just really captured my imagination and i tried to hone that skill and that kind of catapulted me into this world of consumer product design i mean it's interesting because a lot of people when they grumble about dragons then they'll say well it's about it's a show not about entrepreneurs it's about inventors it's about people that like making things and they've got no idea how they're going to build a business out of it i mean it sounds to me like you are were an inventive human being that has then gone on to learn how to build a really great business. Yeah, I think marketing came reasonably naturally to me and a realisation very early on that I had a great product, but build a great business, I needed a great team and trying to learn about leadership early on in that journey. At the time, I couldn't hire expensive people. So I was just looking for passionate people who believe in trying to revolutionize children's travel. And they joined and we grew the business and then we grew and grew. And yeah, had a great team behind us. But it's it's often the case that a lot of entrepreneurs have this sort of skill that they can see around corners. And it, it sounds like in those early days when people were looking at Trunky as toy, not travel, is that that was the breakthrough into understanding that this wasn't this wasn't a kind of just something to play with. This was actually introducing kids to the traveling experience. In terms of that breakthrough thinking, was that something that bringing together your team allowed you to start to think about? Or, or had you already spotted that opportunity and you were beginning to open that up? The inception of Trunky was a bit of a, a fluke and, a, and an insight that then led on to once we started trading 
ending a couple of years in we we sat down as a team and really tried to pull apart what our values were what our mission was a big fan of Jim Collins good to great so I used that almost as a blueprint to to try and run my business and from that it became very clear that our purpose our our mission was around enabling parents and carers to take their it's off traveling blue ocean red ocean i think that was his big idea in in the book but i mean that obviously is what you found by the, the category creation how has the category prospered in an era where we can't travel what would have been the sort of the the effects of of covid on on your business we get some great data through amazon and i looked at our rate of sale in italy when italy went into lockdown and we saw sales tank 90 percent week later spain went into lockdown and it was the canary in the coal mine so we were planning accordingly for when it hit the uk which was pretty brutal but as soon as i mean who would have thought sleepovers were going to be banned or illegal but as soon as lockdown started to ease the first thing people wanted to do was to go off and see the grandparents and we got some amazing instagram images of families going off to visit the grandparents in that magical moment on the the front door so so we we had a bit of a bounce back in the summer we we were pretty skeptical about how long this was going to go on for so we planned accordingly but we're not just about holiday we went into everyday products and a product that's been doing booming sales for us is a simple children's harness that initially is designed to stop children running into the road but it turns out it's incredibly handy for social distancing toddlers so that's that's actually hitting record sales although the suitcases struggled a little bit and we've also gone into other products like folding balance bikes and scooters so through my own personal experience of trying to get the kids to the shops on their these contraptions i tied a, a trunky toe strap around them and tugged them along and, uh, that led into a project to actually create a, a folding balance bike and scooter that can hook on the back of a pram and we licensed that to halfords and, and they've been doing really well too so, so this is a really good example of when people say well a lot of people spent a lot of time reinventing their business models and innovating new products and, and new ideas. I mean, is this part of the kind of post-coronavirus world where we, the practical reality for a business like Trunky is it might well become famous for other things, you know, as well as the things that we know it for in terms of kids' travel? Yeah, well, the, a big philosophy of mine has been focusing laser precision on one particular thing, being the best in the world at one thing, and that's children's travel. But it's not just about holiday, it's about everyday. So I think the gap for us in the market is around baby products kind of for babies. uh, And then there isn't really much for that kind of toddler age around getting out and about other than traditional category products like bit child carriers that you put on your back so that's still ripe ground for us and we've got really fine-tuned marketing to get to mum now so we we still need to be selling child related products to mum but there's a lot of opportunity out there for other areas we can go into because i always think about trunky as as quite a joyful brand and you know i'm interviewing you now and there's there's a load of trunkies behind you on the shelves there and and it and it has me think about you know one of the things i always think about holiday is that you know you'll be walking along a platform and you'll see kids being dragged along on their trunkies you know sort of the you know sort of sat on their trunkies with their parents or their siblings pulling pulling them along and it's a it's a wonderful moment of of just of just that travel experience of actually the fact that it represents the good things right now now as we're living in the the latter days of lockdown it's one of the things that i guess we feel very nostalgic about and when you think about that future some people feel 
quite positively disposed towards it in terms of our ability to get back to doing things in certain ways, or in fact, even doing them better than we did them before. But other people feel, well, we're just not going to go back to those kind of free and easy days where you could travel like that and not worry about social distance or about, you know, that it's going to be just a much harder, more difficult environment. Where, where do you sit on on that? Well, I think business travel is, is fundamentally changed through the likes of Zoom and, and the ease people have of doing business remotely. I don't think family travels completely changed. People still want to get to the beach. We don't have the best weather here in the UK. Actually, only 35% of our sales in the UK. So we're a global brand now with quite strong sales in Europe uh, and the Far East. So yeah, I think people are still going to want to travel uh, and get away to, to their family holiday destinations. You left us with a tip and a quote, which I'd like to finish the interview on and inviting you to tell us a little bit more about them. Your, your tip was to focus on what you can control and don't waste time and energy on what you can't. And your quote is that life's too short to waste it. Make the most of the time you have. Tell us a little bit more, Rob. Yeah, I guess the first tip there, I've kind of covered a little bit in our in our interview about really focusing that energy on what you can control. Having experienced someone passing away in the family, and most people experience this to some extent, it's a kind of a stark reminder about how short life is and how futile some of our day-to-day challenges actually are and it really puts things in perspective so so yeah don't don't worry too much about buying that new car just focus on enjoying the life you've got and, and living it to the best you can rob law thank you so much for such a special interview and there we have it the story of 65 roses and a trunkie do join me next time for change makers 